Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is part three of our Real Relationship series. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan will be speaking on family relationships. He'll explore how to have rich and fulfilling relationships with the people that live in your own home. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect. Hi, my name is Jeremy Flanagan. I'm the lead pastor at Pathway Baptist Church, and it's great to have you worshiping with us this week. Now, I know during the Easter holiday, maybe you weren't able to celebrate like you normally do, but hopefully you still found ways either by yourself or with your family that you could take some time and, and reflect on what Jesus has done for us. Because the, the message of Easter, yes, uh, sometimes we get caught up in our traditions and all those things that we love, but it is truly simply about the fact that Jesus came to live among us because of His love for us, that He sacrificed Himself on the cross and chose to do that so He by His own power could be resurrected, showing that He has the power to not only save us, but to bring us to spend an eternity with Him in heaven one day. And each one of us, if we choose to believe in Christ, as the Bible tells us, when we do that, that we become His children and that He has prepared a place for us to spend eternity. And so this week we're going to be talking about relationships and the family, but I just wanted to make sure for all of us that we understand the most important relationship we can have is with Jesus Christ as Savior. And so knowing that and, and understanding that that is first and foremost, let's take a look as we drill down to some of those other important relationships in our lives. And no other relationships have probably more impact on who we are as individuals than those we have with family. Now, the first week we talked about in this series, God being the God of relationships, He created everything, so obviously He created a structure for those. And He Himself personifies the importance of relationships in the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and how He had fellowship within that, within uh, the Godhead itself uh, for eternity even before He created us. And so last week we, we took a look at kind of a structure that I'm going to use this week and next looking at how we might can define relationships to understand what we are looking for uh, out of them and also what God wants for us. And so we talked about vertical relationships and horizontal relationships. We talked about how our relationship with God is the, the perfect definition of a vertical relationship, uh, while there are others as well, and that how our relationships mostly with each other, with friends, with other people that we come in contact with are, are more horizontal to where uh, there's some equality. That definition where horizontal relationships, we talked about where members have equal standing, whereas vertical relationships are where one member has greater power, authority, or knowledge, or wisdom over the others. Um, horizontal relationships are defined by cooperation, uh, kind of a, a democratic ideal where everybody's voice is heard and working together and, and um, you know coming to a place where they're in agreement. And vertical relationships are designed by a hierarchy, that one person has the, the authority or the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to pass down and to lead others. And so as we took a look at those ideas, and you can go back and look at last week's sermon for more on that, hopefully we can use that idea of vertical and horizontal as we explain practically what happens in our families. And so how do these play out in practical ways? Um, you know, for a, a lot of us, you're probably seeing things happen within your family right now because of uh, what we're going through as a society that are different than maybe things you've experienced. 
um, you know, some decisions may have been made. Like you may have been saying, it would be great to take, you know, the 20, 24 hour car ride with our kids to go on vacation this summer. And uh, regardless of when we're able to do those things again, uh, that may be off the table now because you're stuck at home with your kids and, and uh, you're realizing maybe I am not ready to be in an even more confined space that long. Uh, you know, maybe there's been friction, whether it's between parents or children, whether it's between uh, husband and wife. Uh, if you have roommates, whether it's between you as friends and those, those frictions and things have come up and uh, maybe we weren't perfectly ready to address them, but we never are. We're never going to get everything right, but possibly we've learned something during this time about ourselves, about our family relationships. And so today we're going to look at practical ways to try and make those better. I want to start off in Colossians chapter 3. And this passage, just four little verses, it talks about uh, pretty much all of the, the major ones, between husbands and wives, between uh, parents and children, uh, and between siblings. So it says in verse 18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, a biblical view of marriage is truly a horizontal relationship. Um, in some ways, there are roles uh, with, within that marriage relationship that people can say make it more vertical, um, but that's not really the case. There are different roles and responsibilities, but husbands and wives are described as being one body. Uh, one flesh. They're a, supposed to be a model of cooperation, of encouragement, and dedication to each other. And all of those things that we see in Scripture from the very early on uh, describe what should be the kind of the best example of horizontal relationships. Um, now, I'm going to read in Ephesians chapter 1, and it goes into some language that some people say, you know, flips that a little bit, but Let's get through it and take a look at what God says defines a healthy marriage. It says in Ephesians 1.21, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. These are the verses that people sometimes pull up and in modern culture try and use it as an attack against Christianity, claiming that it subjugates women, that it, it puts you know, men in a higher um, you know, authority role. And you can argue that, but I think you're missing the overall picture of what God is trying to say. Um, the whole idea that God has set up the family structure where ultimate responsibility rests upon the husband is something a lot of people don't like, but Guess what? Sometimes I don't actually like it as well, but for way different reasons. Um, when you read the scripture there, let's keep reading in verse 25. Because where it talks about those verses about kind of what the wife's role is there, verse 25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word, he did this to present her to himself a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And verse 28 says, in that same way. So it, it describes what Jesus did for the church. And it says, in that same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. 
for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. And in verse 33, so again I say, each man must love his wife as loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So God's definition of how a marriage should work and how a family structure should look like places the husband as the head of the family. But what does that mean? Um, while society may try to paint this biblical picture as authoritarian, God's definition of the husband's role is one of what I call responsibility and accountability. The way I often describe it is to say that, you know, within my family, uh, my son Luke is accountable to God for his actions. My wife Jessica is accountable to God for her actions. Um, but I'm accountable to God not only for my actions, but also for those of my wife and for my son. Luckily, I'm not accountable for my dog. God leaves that out. She's a, a glutton and lazy. So, But past that, I'm accountable for what God has put in front of me to say, you know, Jeremy, this is your responsibility. You're to lead well. You're to sacrifice. When you look at that picture that says husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church, that's one of, of self-sacrifice. That's one where sometimes you have to give up your own desires or your pride or your time everything in order to lead your family well. And so, yeah, there are times that I can look at that picture and say, you know what, that seems like a lot of weight put on my shoulders. Um, but that's the role that I chose when I loved Jessica and decided to marry her and when we decided to have children. God set up that structure, and as a believer in Christ, I've accepted that responsibility. And so, because I have that weight on my shoulders, then God's instructions to wives to support them and to, uh, and, you know, for mothers of children to respect their husbands is with the understanding of the accountability that God has placed on them. And, and that's what the role of, of marriage is. And I'm actually on our sermon blog. I'm going to put a link to a past sermon where I go a little more into this. Um, and then I'm also going to put some links that deal with some of the inequities within relationships that we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, just for today, think of this. Look at the first verse and the last verse of this passage that Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus. There in verse 21 uh, of Ephesians, uh, where he says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he finishes it in verse 33. So I, again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. When we get marriages wrong, it's usually because we aren't working to be united. We're not cooperating or encouraging or dedicated in a healthy way. Last week, we said that negative aspects can arise in forms of detrimental competition, that that's what can happen in negative ways within horizontal relationships. Um, that can happen in marriages between a husband and wife. Um, where they're constantly fighting against each other, where they're trying to take control away from the other person. Um, you can also have it to where instead of where it's a constant fight where one wants to become and turn it vertical, you can have where it flips easily, where one person in the relationship becomes controlling or domineering, um, really more focused on themselves and what they want, and the other person, in order to avoid conflict, can, what I, I say, I call it emotionally retreat. You know, there's a big difference between maybe giving up what you want in a moment to try and, and lift somebody else up. That's a positive thing the Bible talks about. But emotionally retreating because we're afraid of conflict, um, we feed in to flipping what should be a horizontal relationship into a vertical one. 
Now, each side can blame the other. And, you know, in every case, there usually is maybe more that you could say, well, this person caused this. But really, we can all say that all the time. We can always find a reason that someone else's behavior caused us to also act in a way against what God wants. And so we have to say, no, I'm going to fight within my marriage to keep this a true partnership, a cooperation. I'm going to work. And, you know, if one person is trying to be aggressive and, and take control and, and domineer, that I'm not going to just stand by and let that happen. Or if one person is emotionally retreating, that the other person needs to realize that and, and very often look at how their own actions are feeding into that behavior. And so we have to work hard at keeping our marriages healthy, uh, horizontal, and one that, that honors God in the way we move forward. Now, when you look at sibling relationships, they are also horizontal. I mean, truly horizontal. They're on the same level. Actually, when you look at, at how psychology you know, talks about different family relationships, you have intergenerational between parents and children or children and aunts and uncles or grandparents, and then intragenerational, which are siblings or uh, you know, cousins along the same line and, and all of those, where it is truly horizontal. And so we don't have a lot of scripture uh, that specifically talks about sibling relationships and what they're supposed to look like. But instead, what we have are constant references throughout the Bible where God through, through his people are, are telling the churches or telling others that how as Christians, they're supposed to love and treat each other. And the terms that they use are terms of brothers and sisters. Um, if you've ever been in churches, these traditional Christian greetings, uh, like the church I, I grew up in, at least maybe for leaders or for adults uh, who are older than you, you've heard people call each other maybe a, a brother or sister. You know, um, the church I grew up in is one where as a child, you know, typically ad adults when I was a child, if they were a teacher or somebody else in the community, I always referred to them as, you know, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. But in a church setting, it was always brother or sister uh, you know, in their name. And so this is done. It's kind of a maybe a traditional thing that's done, but for biblical reasons, simply because the Bible often refers to us in the, you know, as fellow believers as being brothers and sisters. It's the default. The default idea is that the way that a brother and sister relationship, sibling relationship should work is the way that we should treat each other. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 9, it says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now there in verse 10 where it says to love with genuine affection, uh, that's um, in other translations that are maybe a little more, uh, you know, just direct translations. You'll see, and often in the Bible, where it says to be devoted to one another or to have brotherly love. Uh, that idea of brotherly love or sibling love is used multiple times through Scripture. And it's actually the Greek word Philadelphia, uh, that word that is a type of love that's a brotherly or a, you know, a friendship, a true horizontal uh, type of love. And so, you know, whether, you know, Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, that same idea is throughout the Scripture that says that the way fellow believers should treat each other, by default, is the way that siblings should be naturally. But if you've been around and cooped up in your house for weeks now, um, 
brotherly love may not be the way you would describe your relationship, uh, you know, if, if you still have siblings living at home, uh, or if your parents and having to break up the fights all the time, uh, that may not be the way you describe it. And it is very true that the relationships that we are closest to, those that we have, you know, are in the, the nearest proximity, those that we have the longest relationship with are also the ones where we could have the most conflict. Uh, you know, especially as we're younger and growing up and learning how to cooperate, how to, you know, think of others more important than ourselves. There's a lot of that type of friction that exists, but there is also a type of long-standing relationship that is hard to truly emulate anywhere else. That that you have between siblings, you have that natural connection, and then hopefully over time, you see that connection get deeper and stronger. You know, the, the scripture in one part in Hebrews 13, 1, it tells them to keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Um, and so, yeah, were there times that me and my sister fought, uh, you know, growing up as little kids together? You know, absolutely. Um, she was my sister. She also was very parental uh, as an older sister. Uh, you know, jokingly, every time I would leave the house when I was a teenager or in college even, she would say, be safe. And, you know, I would say, I, I will. I plan to drive as fast and reckless as I can um, because that's what she did and that's how I responded. Um, but, you know, we have, you know, had that connection there growing up and hopefully that those are the type of relationships that siblings can have where there's friction. We fought. We fought. <laughs> we fought hard sometimes. Uh, but that in the end, you can overcome all those things. Proverbs 17, 17 says that a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. That idea of that horizontal relationship of siblings, hopefully, um, is yes, there's friendship and then siblings can hopefully take that higher. So whatever friction or conflict you have with them, it is well worth your time to look at the positive aspects of your relationships with siblings and to try and work past whatever things are getting in between you to try and truly value each other and to still feed into those relationships over time. And so as we're kind of getting towards the end today, I want to focus now on the relationships within family between parents and children. That's one that, at least for myself, where you know, I've already talked about the responsibility and accountability that God has put you know, on, on husbands, but He puts it, yes, on, on both parents too for their children and what they're supposed to do together. Now, before we look at that, I want to just remind you of the vertical relationship we have with God. Because we say that the role between parents and children is more of a vertical relationship. And so let's look at that perfect vertical relationship between God and His children um, and see what that's like. So with God, you know, at the top, we we see that He is, is filled with benevolence, that what He does is with our best interest in mind, that He is filled with compassion, that He has perfect knowledge and He is trying to give that down to us, and that then God is also a God of sacrifice where He, he gives so much for His children. And then for us, uh, what we have is that we are to show Him respect, that type of, of love, and sometimes in the Bible it's called love or fear, but it's really just a a true measure of respect for Him because of who He is, that we are to show Him obedience and, and following uh, what God has put in place for us. Um, and that also it's a kind of a, a lifelong role of character building 
where God has that perfect knowledge and that instruction. And so we should be taking advantage of that and letting it form our character over time. So take the idea of God and us and then replace that with parents and children. And it's the same thing. Where parents are supposed to be benevolent, compassionate, sharing knowledge to the ones they're raising and sacrificing for their best interest. And the children should be showing respect, should be following with obedience and and following their parents, honoring them. And then also uh, their character should be built as their parents are teaching them, instructing them, and as they follow. And so that perfect example we have between God and us is also the model that we should try and make sure we're keeping between parents and children. And when we don't keep that model, that's when things get off. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So why is it important for children to honor their parents? And how does this look? When you read verse 4, it says for parents to bring them up with discipline and instruction, but also not to provoke them to anger. So you may be saying to yourself, anytime I give discipline or anytime I give instruction to my kids, it makes them angry. It makes them mad. It makes them you know, push back. Um, so that seems like it contradicts itself, but it absolutely does not. What the Bible is telling us is that we need to, yes, give them knowledge and instruction from God in the way that He would have without belittling or being so harsh or mean to them that it crushes them. Okay, we don't need to tear them down. You've seen relationships or been in some where a person tears other people's down, and that's not the type of role that parents should have with their kids. But yeah, discipline and instruction, there's going to come conflict from that. Um, And I just want to reassure you, uh, you know, that instruction, while they say it's killing them, it won't. And the Bible even says that. In Proverbs 23 and verse 12, it says, Commit yourself to instruction. Listen carefully to words of knowledge. Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. So I'm not going to get into the, the talk about, you know, physical discipline when it comes to whether it's spanking or, or something like that. Um, it doesn't, physical discipline doesn't always have to mean that. Um, it did for me uh, often, uh, and, uh, you know, that's uh, something that, uh, that was used on me, and I greatly deserved it uh, often. But there was other types of physical discipline. You know, whether you look at something that's a, a timeout, whether it's taking away toys or, you know, privileges, whether it's removing an activity that they wanted to do, you know, setting rules and boundaries and saying when you cross this, there's a consequence. You know, a bad thing that we can do as parents is to always give in when our children uh, want something or especially when they don't want to follow a rule. That's a bad thing to do. The worst thing to do is to openly set a rule or give an ultimatum that then you cave. Because when you do that, um, you know, when you just constantly give in, you know, when they're constantly asking for you to bend a rule or to make an allowance, 
It's not wrong to ever do that. But when you always do that, you're taking that horizontal relationship or that, that vertical relationship between the parent and the child and you're starting to let it turn to become horizontal. And then when you give rules and ultimatums and then you cave, you're, you're actually taking that child and you're putting them on top. You're letting them run the show. Um, you know, we all mess up as parents and so there's no perfect ones. But one thing my parents did well is that when they said it, they meant it. They meant it and they stuck to it. One thing that Jessica and I have always done and, and uh, I've had conversations with my son about this saying, you know, I'm always going to back your mother and mom's always going to back me. You know, even in the moment, if I may just go a little overboard and say, no, this is what's happened. This is the punishment. My wife always backs me up. You know, one time as a kid, and there was a, going into Fort Smith, I, I lived uh, just east of Fort Smith, about 20 miles, and there was one of those old water slides that was old concrete, you know, slide that went down a hillside, and uh, they've torn it out, you know, years ago, and actually I went through there recently, and they've excavated that hillside, and so my opportunity to ever go there, well, it passed a couple of decades back, but, uh, you know, it passed one time when I was a kid because... We were in the car and we were going to go and we were headed there and we were threatened that if we keep fighting, that we're just going to go home. You know what? We kept fighting and we went home and I never got to go there. I lost out on that opportunity forever. And while I've been to amazing water parks, the only thing in life that I still regret isn't all of those great things that I've done. It's that one little old school water slide that I never got to go on because it was a punishment withheld, and I still think about it. I talked to my sister before the sermon and was, and was talking to her about that situation, and she reminded me of a time when we were actually coming home uh, from church uh, with my dad one night, and we kept fighting, and we kept fighting, and he was going to take us out to eat to go grab a burger, and it came to the point where we were fighting, and he said, okay, you get a choice between one of two things, either we can remove that you know, privilege of getting to go and get some food, which we didn't do very often, um, or uh, you know, that he would punish us in other ways. And we took that punishment because we wanted that burger. Um, but every time they gave us ultimatums, they stuck with it. See, I, I bring that out just because as parents, it's our responsibility to have a loving, compassionate, but disciplined vertical relationship with children. Um, and we have to make sure that we invest into that. It is commanded by God. It's something He expects from us, and a proper vertical relationship that, that parents give shows our children a proper view of authority. It's one that will bleed over into the way they respect teachers or other adults. Uh, it'll be one that helps them grow respect for other people. And not to make you even feel more pressure, but giving our children a proper vertical relationship with parents um, is one that should also give them a picture of the relationship that we should have between God and His children. And so we need to model that for them. Um, for you kids out there watching this who are still at home under your parents, Proverbs 1, 8 and 9 says, My child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. And so... Part of our worship today was to say that the Lord is God over all that we know. And if God is truly, you know, in charge of all that we know and we, and we understand that and we respect that as, as truth, then we should do the work that He puts in front of us to build relationships in the way that He says is healthy. 
one that bring him honor. When we live in relationships the way that bring honor to God, they're also going to bring us the type of joy and fulfillment that only comes by following God's plan. Any other way that we try and change that because we think it's best in the moment won't bring that. And so find ways right now during this season to invest in relationships and build them the way that God says will be effective, constructive, and bring Him honor and glory.